You are listening to Sermon Snippets with Max Taylor, where we exposit God's Word and apply its instruction to our everyday lives. As we study God's Word, we are learning truth that corrects our thinking, meets our needs, and teaches us more about Christ. Here's your host, Max Taylor. Okay, I know it is Friday, and I'm not confused about the schedule, but I wanted to do something a little bit different today, and that is just talk about a completely different passage of scripture that I've been meditating on and thinking a lot about this past week, something that's been really encouraging to me. And I just thought, you know, this is Sermon Snippets. It's a podcast. There's unlimited audio, so we don't have any restriction here. We're not under some kind of uh, restricted recording limit or anything like that. So why not just give a bonus Bible study on a topic of loneliness, something that's different, something that's not related to the study of the book of Daniel where we're at right now at all. I mean, I guess you could connect it a little bit. So on Friday, we're just going to record some thoughts from the book of Micah, who is a fascinating character. He lived not too far from Jerusalem, actually before the time frame of Daniel, who we've been studying. Micah was alive and prophesying in between the northern and southern kingdoms collapsing. So he actually prophesied for a long period of time, according to Jones' chronology of the Bible, which I would say is the most, by far the most articulate and accurate Bible chronology. If you want to look into um, the time frames of the Bible, if you want to study the Bible chronologically in order, figure out the dates of when any biblical event happened, I would look into Dr. Floyd Nolan Jones and his work. Uh, He has a couple books. One is the Chronology of the Old Testament that I reference a lot. It's actually sitting right here on my desk. Uh, Floyd Nolan Jones, you can get that in hard copy. And then you can actually just go to his website and get a lot of chronological charts and information. You can download all of his books as PDFs. So go check that out. That's a great resource. Anyways, according to his chronology... Um, that's when Micah was prophesying and he prophesied for years from, goodness, I do have it written down here from somewhere, uh, within the 700s to, I think the 800s. Let me just check on this really quick. When Micah prophesied. Sorry about this. So, yeah, just some background. So, he prophesied from 754 B.C. to 697 B.C., which is a long time. That's through the Assyrian captivity of northern Israel. So, he would have witnessed that, and he was conducting ministry live at that time. Actually, his book here that is recorded in Scripture, the book of Micah, is mainly towards the northern and southern kingdoms. This is when the, the kingdom was still divided. And he was prophesying both against Jerusalem, so that's the southern kingdom of Judah, and against Samaria. So that's the, that was the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel. So his ministry, very unique. Obviously, after him is when the Babylonian captivity took place, when Daniel was carried into Babylon, and that's when we get into the events in the book of Daniel. So that's kind of a little bit of the time frame there of Micah. 
but we're going to look at chapter seven. This is what I'd like to share. Um, and man, is it comforting. Something that I think I know I need and something that I think you'll be encouraged by. I'll just say one of the w- reasons that I love the Minor Prophets so much is because not only is it a message of uh, judgment from God, which it certainly is, it does not water down the message of judgment at all. It's very clear what God's going to do, why he's punishing Israel. But there's not just that. That's probably the main conception of what uh, these minor prophets contain. They do contain judgment, but they also contain hope. And God tells his people how they personally can be made right with him. Even though the destruction is coming, I mean, goodness, read Jeremiah. Even though God is promising destruction, there is no lack of hope or grace or offer from God for the people to be made right, for the people to come to him, to get rid of their sin, put away their idols, return to the Lord. And then there's even glimpses of the personal struggles of these prophets. That's what we're looking at today. Chapter 7 is almost like it is divinely inspired by God and it's written by God, but it's truly authored by Micah himself. It's a personal message from Micah to anyone who reads this epistle, um, this letter, this um, word of God, word from the Lord. Micah tells the people that were around him at the time, the Israelites, the Jews, how he was feeling. He opens up about his own personal struggles and challenges, and that's such a blessing that we have to be able to read that, to hear that and learn from it. So we're starting in Micah 7, verse 1 says, Woe is me. What a personal, you know, open, vulnerable exclamation from Micah. You know, he didn't didn't put on any front. He didn't act like he had it all together as a prophet of God. He is brutally honest. And he says, Woe is me, for I am as when they have gathered the summer fruits, As the grape gleanings of the vintage, there is no cluster to eat. My soul desireth the first ripe fruit. So he describes himself as someone who is starving, someone who's parched, you know, who is looking for summer fruits, who's looking for um, something to eat. And basically the picture here is that he can't find what he's looking for. There's a dearth. There's, there's, um, Harvest has already come and gone. There's no cluster left. All the fruit has already been picked. And so he is earnestly desiring for something that he can't find anything of. So the, the situation is very barren, very dry. And, and he is, he says, woe is me. You know, his desire is not being fulfilled. And then in verse two, he tells us what that desire is. He says, the good man is perished out of the earth and there is none upright among men. They all lie in wait for blood. They hunt every man, his brother, with a net. And so he he clearly says what he's desiring is someone like-minded, someone who's godly, someone who is upright among men. He says the good man is perished out of the earth. And just catch the power of this analogy that he's using. The people 
definitely could have understood. This is why reading books about biblical culture and ancient Middle Eastern practice is so helpful because this was an agrarian society. These people lived by the harvest that they brought in, by the food that they cultivated and grew themselves. This was a big deal. They, they were a society based on the food that they grew. And he's describing himself as looking for food and it's the wrong time of year. You know, he can't find any fruit and he's starving and hungering for it. But the land around him is so barren. And then he, he reveals to us that his desire is to find someone who is upright, a godly person. And it's as if they're perished off the face of the earth and there's none upright. There's no one godly available for him. And so he cannot fulfill that desire. He can't find what he's looking for because there's such a dearth of it. The world is so barren of anyone upright that it's as as hard for him to find a godly person as it would be for someone to find fruit after harvest. So that's the situation that he's in. Now he continues to describe, and we're going to see how it gets even worse. In verse 3 he says, and he's describing Uh, These people, um, instead of the upright, he says, all the people lie in wait for blood. They hunt every man, his brother. And so verse three, it says that they may do evil with both hands earnestly. The prince asketh and the judge asketh for a reward. And the great man, he uttereth his mischievous desire. So they wrap it up. So he's describing the corruption. So instead of finding what he's looking for, upright people, godly people. He says, instead of that, everyone is trying to hurt their brother and they're doing so with both hands earnestly. These people are all out, full-blown committed to violence, to injuring one another, to hateful crimes. They're so committed to doing evil that they're using both hands earnestly. Like they are really trying. They're just totally given away to wickedness. He says, the prince asketh and the judge asketh for a reward. So that's the corruption of government. You know, someone just bribing the judge and getting off by paying money. You know, the corruption that he's describing. And that sounds familiar to us today here. And it says, the great man, you know, so someone who has status, someone who's, you know, maybe a politician or political leader or someone who's famous or has clout, you know, the great man, he uttereth his mischievous desire. So he wants something that's unethical. And it says, so they wrap it up. So the people around him, they carry it out. They do what he says because of his status, because of his popularity, because he's a celebrity. People turn a blind eye. They overlook the unethical, you know, demands of this popular person. In verse 4, it says, the best of them is as a briar. He says, I wanted fruit. You know, I'm, I'm hungry. I'm starving. I'm famished. And I'm looking as a person going out and searching in a field for berries. And all I find, the best that I can find, is briars. Wow, just let that sink in. The prophet writing to the people of God, to the children of Israel, describing his personal struggles. That's here in the Minor Prophets. If you haven't read the Minor Prophets in a while, go back and dive into it because it is so 
deeply refreshing. And there's so many lessons that we can learn, like what we're learning here. He says, the best of them is as a briar, the most upright is sharper than a thorn hedge. The day of thy watchman and thy visitation cometh. Now shall there be perplexity. So it's not totally um, ending in a undisclosed answer or question. He gives a little bit of closure saying that God's judgment is coming. He's saying because of these people's wickedness. That's why there can be no question that Israel deserved the judgment that they got. And really, for any nation, not just Israel, for anyone, when there's such rampant ungodliness, judgment is coming. Okay, Sooner or later, it's happened all throughout history. It happened here. It's going to happen again in the future. God's judgment will follow wickedness, and evildoers will pay. They will pay the price for their actions. And so that's what he says here. Then we get to the final solution. In verse 5, he says, Trust ye not in a friend. Put ye not confidence in a guide. Keep the doors of thy mouth from her that lieth in thy bosom. So what is he saying here? Because in the beginning, he says how earnestly he was looking for a friend. You know, how much he desired for someone who is upright in heart. So what is he saying? Well, it's clear that from what he says in the beginning, it is a good thing to desire friends. And everything that he mentions in verse 5, he talks about friends. He says, put you not confidence in a guide, you know, a mentor, a someone who's leading you. And then he says, keep the doors of thy mouth from her that lieth in thy bosom. You know, loved ones, family members, those are all good things. And actually, we should be very thankful for all those things, for friends, for family, for guides, mentors, those who have shown leadership in our in our lives, who have invested in us. We should be very grateful for those things. But he's saying, don't put your confidence, don't put your trust in those people. Don't confide in them as if they are the end all. So he's simply saying, that's what I wanted. I, I, I long for that. You know, I am desperately hungry and thirsty for godly friendship. But at the same time, in verse 5, he says, don't put your stock in man. And he says in verse 6, for the son dishonoreth the father, the daughter riseth up against her mother, the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. So I hope it's clear. He's saying, don't don't put your stock in people and man because that is surely going to let you down and can i just say something to the people pleasers out there okay and i i would put myself in that category too actually most people are naturally people pleasers okay i don't know if you knew that or not but almost everyone is naturally a people pleaser and obviously there are narcissists out there okay every once in a while you'll run into a narcissistic person Um, But even those people are very sensitive about their public image, and that's why they can't handle people telling them no. And really, the greatest fear of a narcissist is people exposing them for who they are. Okay, But this is not a psychological podcast. This is sermon snippets. (laughs) So 
Um, getting back to this point about people pleasers, okay? Most people naturally don't want to let down their boss or their coach or their parents or their friends. Most people naturally want to make them proud, want to prove themselves to their family, to their friends, you know? But my challenge for all of us who naturally fall into that category, who have that natural temperament is this. Don't let pleasing people be your focus. I would even say to unmarried listeners, don't try to be the person that your future spouse is looking for. Have you heard that before? You know, people challenge either in, you know, relationship books or it's a common theme out there. Even it's sometimes preached, you know, be the person that your future spouse is looking for. I just want to say, no, don't do that. That's terrible. And for the record, a lot of the relationship books out there are really not helpful to having a biblical mindset for marriage. So read with discernment always. Okay. But my point is living for the expectations of others, even your future spouse is not the right focus. Those are all good things, right? But the kind of person that you should strive to be is the kind of person that God wants you to be. Focus on God. Focus on pleasing and honoring God. And really, that can relate directly back to our, st- our study in the book of Daniel. Daniel was not focusing on being a good worker, being good for his boss, being loyal to his co-workers, you know, not breaking the king's decree. Those are not the things that Daniel was focusing on. Daniel was focusing on God. He honored God in his decisions not to sin. Then when he was saved from the lion's den, he recognized God as the source of salvation. He didn't take the credit. He gave God credit. And that's that's a lifelong pursuit for us to strive to be pleasing to God. That's what he's saying here in Micah. Don't put your trust in a friend. Don't put your confidence in a guide. Be guarded in your relationships, even with your family, because we are not to put our stock in man. And verse 7 is truly the pinnacle of this passage. He says, Therefore I will look unto the Lord. Therefore, because of everything he said before, I will look unto the Lord. That's his conclusion. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Man, he goes on. Let's keep reading verses 8 and 9. He says, Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. That's so powerful because he's comparing really the physical with the eternal, with the spiritual. He's saying, I might fall, but I shall arise. Ultimately, in Christ, we are standing. We have a standing in Christ. We have not fallen. And while we might fall here on earth, we might be defeated by an enemy, we might be discouraged, we could have a moment of sadness and sorrow and trial and struggle here, we are risen in Christ. When we sit in darkness here, there can be times of um, immense persecution and trial here, but the Lord is a light to us. No matter what's going on physically, spiritually, the reality is that God is a light to us. We're not in the darkness. We can see 
we are not in sorrow. Um, we are joyful. We're filled with the hope of God. And that's all because of salvation. That is gospel-centric right there. He says, I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he plead my cause and execute judgment for me. He will bring me forth to the light and I shall behold his righteousness. And that's really the message of all the minor prophets. Even though Israel had sinned, even though God was bringing judgment, he says, I will face the judgment of God here on this earth because we cannot escape the consequences of sin. When we are even in a country that is so defiled and so wicked, we are going to pay the the price for that. We're going to suffer the consequences on this earth. But even though that might happen physically, spiritually, God has pled our cause. He, Christ is pleading for us before the Father. And so we are justified by God's grace. We have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Christ has pled our cause before the Father. And God has executed judgment against Christ for us. It's all based on the gospel. He's saying because of what God did for us through Christ... Therefore, I will keep my eyes on the Lord. I will look unto God. I will wait for the God of my salvation. His focus is ultimately not on looking for friends or trying to um, find upright people who he has commonality with, who he can be like-minded with. That's not really the answer. His conclusion is to focus on God. That is the remedy for loneliness. And let's jump all the way down to the end. And just read verses 18, 19, and 20. It talks about the same theme. He says, Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever, because he delighteth in mercy. Just think about the mercy of God. I was thinking about this yesterday, um, working outside forming up a house that we're about to pour concrete for, just meditating on God's mercy. Do you realize how much God endured for our salvation? Like, just remember the immense personal loss that God sustained on our behalf for God to send his son, who is God. Think about the price of giving up your son for a people who has so insulted you and violated your your law and been so proud against you. That's what God did on our behalf. What love is that? That is beautiful and unchanging love of God. That is undeserved love. Unmerited favor is a definition that's often given for grace. That's what God did for us. Man, we could just pause and just meditate on that, but we'll keep keep reading here in verse, uh, where were we? Uh, We'll read verse 18 again and read down to verse 20. This is the close of the book, the, the end of Micah. He says, Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth in mercy. He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities and thou wilt cast all their sins 
into the depths of the sea. Thou wilt perform the truth to Jacob and the mercy to Abraham, which thou hast sworn unto our fathers from the days of old. So let me just give you a couple quick points just to recap this chapter. Number one, having godly friends is both a privilege that we should desire and a blessing that we should be thankful for. We should not take godly friendships for granted, but instead we should be grateful when we get to enjoy close friendships with believers. Number two, it can be difficult to find someone who is upright. It can be so difficult that it can feel like searching for fruit after it has all been harvested. Loneliness is not fun. It is so miserable that Micah pronounces a woe on himself. And he opens up personally about this struggle. And we too can often feel alone in an ungodly world. So that's a reality. Number three, far from godly individuals, what we find in the world is an abundance of corrupt people, often with unrestrained evil motives and intentions. This takes form in violence, bribery, and manipulation by those who have high status. While painful now, their judgment is coming, and we can be assured of that. And then number four, friends, family, and guides will all disappoint or deceive, but God will never let us down or leave us. Our life cannot be bound up in any of these other things, but it must be hid with Christ. We must look to Jesus And we must protect and keep our hearts only for him. So I hope this personal message from Micah um, is not a message of dreary pessimism, you know, or it's not just a form of some downer mentality, but it is one of hope and beauty rooted in the unchangeableness of Jesus and the glory and grace of the gospel. Just remember, take some time to meditate on the immense personal loss that God sustained on our behalf so that he could save us from our sin. Just meditate on what love God has for us. And then in response, we should guard and protect our hearts and keep them only for God. That is the true remedy for loneliness in the midst of a corrupt and wicked world. Thank you for listening to Sermon Snippets. If this Bible study is a help to you, consider downloading the weekly episodes or sharing this podcast with a friend. Until next time, remember that God's Word is perfect, and it's everything you need to live for Him.